Sefer Bereshit, Parshat Miketz, on moral regret. In chapter 42 of the book of Genesis, Jacob, amidst the famine, sends 10 of his sons, all but Benjamin the youngest, and Joseph, who is presumed dead, down to Egypt to procure food. Joseph, unbeknownst to them, is the prophet and mastermind responsible for Egypt's successful system of rationing and is the one in charge of distributing the food. When the brothers reach Egypt, they bow down to him as Joseph had predicted long ago. While Joseph can recognize the brothers, the ten of them have no idea that it's him. Joseph then says he will give them food as long as they go back and bring him his brother Binyamin, Benjamin, a violation of the wishes of Yaakov, who insists on protecting Benjamin at all costs. Quickly, they assume they are receiving divine retribution for their mistreatment of Joseph, back when, out of jealousy, they sold him to the Ishmaelites when he was 17 years old. The Torah tells us, they said to one another, Alas, we are being punished on account of our brother because we looked on at his anguish, yet paid no heed as he pleaded with us. That is why this distress has come upon us. Then Ruvain spoke up and said to them, Did I not tell you, do no wrong to the boy? But you paid no heed. Now comes the reckoning for his blood. They did not know that Yosef understood, for there was an interpreter between him and them. The parasha says that Yosef turned away from them and wept. And he sends the brothers back with grain, money, and other supplies. Eventually, the brothers will be fully reconciled with one another but not until the end of the book of Genesis. In this story, we see that repentance by the brothers and forgiveness by Joseph is not a quick fix, but a process of reestablishing trust. We learn in this Parsha about the powerful experience of coming to own our wrongs. Think about how intense and uncomfortable an experience this must have been for the brothers. They had effectively tried to kill Yosef, and they then found themselves again face-to-face -face with him. And with the instances of Yosef's weeping, we witness how powerful these events were for the victim in this incident, who finds it in himself to forgive them for their grave moral infraction. For most of us, we often don't want to make amends for our mistakes. We don't want to sit with the discomfort, and we don't want to be held accountable. Fortunately, the Jewish tradition is well aware that teshuvah is difficult, and it has developed a system of steps to give the guilty a clear path to correcting their ways. Maimonides, in his 12th century law code, explain the specifics of how this works. First, he says, comes confessing the transgression to God, 
According to Rabbi Joseph B. Soloveitchik, a confession contains three basic parts. Acknowledgement of sin, remorse, resolution for the future. Additionally, according to Maimonides, if the sin was committed against another person rather than purely against God, the person needs to make amends with the person, for example, via financial restitution, and ask them for their forgiveness. If I wrong you, it is not enough for me to simply ask God for forgiveness. I need to ask you personally. The act of asking for forgiveness is important not only for the offender's work of teshuva, but also for healing for the one who was hurt. By them seeing the sincerity of the regret, they too will ideally progress along their healing process. Of course, in serious cases, precautions need to be taken in order to avoid reactivating trauma in the victim. But that still is not the end of the person's teshuva. Someone who has truly repented, Rambam says, when they have the chance to repeat the wrong, but they choose not to do it. That is when the process of repentance is complete. That is when we know the confession was not merely uns unsubstantiated words. In Sefer Bereshit, in the book of Genesis, the offense committed by the brothers was unambiguously bad. But often in the world, we are faced with real moral dilemmas in which there is no clear option. For example, a person might have to decide between helping lots of needy strangers or providing a good, safe life for their own family. There too, it is healthy for us to experience a form of moral regret. Even if we made the best choice we knew of, we can hold in our conscience that we partially regret the outcome of what we did. Further, it is the sign of a strong conscience for one to feel moral regret over complicity and sins they weren't fully responsible for. Joseph's brothers did not each individually sell him and endanger his life. They did it collectively. They were collectively responsible, and they felt collective regret. So too, in our day, as Jews, we may be complicit with Jewish communal actions. As Americans, we are complicit in American policy. And as consumers participating in the marketplace, we share guilt in the sins of capitalism. What is difficult about this type of regret is that we effectively can't, as is laid out in the laws of repentance, fully stop engaging in the wrongs. We are participating in systems from which we cannot extract ourselves. In that respect, Repentance for systemic problems takes even longer. In Genesis, the matter of Joseph forgiving his brothers is not resolved until the end of the book, when the brothers relay a message to Joseph, supposedly from Jacob before he died, saying, 
Please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. And now please forgive. According to the Talmud, Rabbi Yossi Barchanina, notice that the message says, please, three times. From this, he derived the Jewish teaching that one only needs to ask for forgiveness at most three times. And Yosef, upon hearing the brother's message, does forgive. It says in the conclusion of Sefer Bereshit, in the end of the book of Genesis, Joseph was in tears as they spoke to him. His brothers went to him themselves, flung themselves before him and said, we are prepared to be your slaves. But Joseph said to them, have no fear. Am I a substitute for God? Besides, although you intended me harm, God intended it for good, so as to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. And so fear not. I will sustain you and your dependents. Thus he reassured them, speaking kindly to them. The saga from the brothers' near killing of Joseph to their forgiveness later on spans 14 chapters. This can be a reminder of just how much work and time must go into our teshuva. Rav Soloveitchik said it best. Repentance is not a sudden occurrence. It does not begin at nightfall of the eve of the Day of Atonement, just moments before the recitation of confession. Repentance sprouts forth and grows in the course of a long and drawn-out process, typified by doubt and speculation, soul-searching and spiritual reckoning. First comes the inner stirring, which generates actual repentance. A great gap often intercedes between the idea and the act. For crystallized thinking is the end product of intuitive, undefined thoughts. They take hold of one in the darkness of the night. They emerge from the innermost recesses of the secret self. And man tries to fend off some of them and hide them from himself, not to mention from others. The road that leads from these first stirrings until the actual contemplation of repentance is long. Indeed, and even then, after the rational idea is clearly formed in thought, it must be reborn and translated into action. All of this must start, though, by developing a strong sense of values and a conscience ready, when necessary, to feel moral regret. Shabbat Shalom.